We're going to turn now to God's Word, to Psalm 91. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it, but if not, the Word should appear on the screen. Psalm 91, and reading from the beginning. This is God's Word. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I just want to flick over into the New Testament briefly and read a few words also from Romans chapter five. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We give God thanks for his word and before we come to think about it, let's again pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word given to us. And so now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts bless your name and achieve what you would want it to. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I wonder, would you describe yourself as a worrier? I think it varies from person to person, doesn't it? Some people are just serial worriers, they're always worrying about something, and other people just seem to be able to roll with it. I think you find in couples in particular, you'll find they'll say, well, he's the worrier, or she's the worrier. You normally find one who's the worrier, and the other who kind of just gets on with stuff. In my house, it's me, I'm sitting awake in the middle of the night, and Justine has been asleep for hours, and I'm not envious at all. But all of us worry at different times in our lives. Many people are obviously worried about all that's going on in the world at the moment with COVID-19. You might be worried that you might catch it or that someone you know might get the virus. 
You might be worried that your job isn't secure because of it. You might be worried about not getting to see a relative who, who maybe lives overseas in an area where, where there's now quarantine rules or something like that. But why are we so prone to worry? I suppose at the root of all worry is the fear of what could go wrong. When you sit down to eat your breakfast in the morning, I know it's a silly example, but you're not terribly worried about it because there's not much that could go wrong. You don't worry about it. But if you're worried about the coronavirus, well, it's because you might get sick or someone you love might get sick or worse. If you're worried about something like your job, well, it might be because you think if you lose it, well, some of us think of that as a kind of a failure, even though it might not be our fault at all. It might be there's a fear about a loss of income or, or not being able to provide for the people you love. We worry about what could go wrong. And worry can eat away at us, can make us overthink, it can give us no peace at all, can keep us awake at night. But before we come to Psalm 91, I want to ask a question. Should Christians worry? Or maybe I should rephrase that. Is it okay if Christians do worry? Because I think this church has sometimes taught that it's not really okay. If we're saved, we should have confidence. In the same way that we saw last week that some people would want to say, well, a Christian should never be depressed or down because sure you're saved, you should have the joy of the Lord. Well, we saw that that's just not true. We do have the joy of the Lord, but we all feel down sometimes. It's been the experience of God's people through all time. Well, in the same way, some people want to say that Christians shouldn't worry, and they'll point to the Bible. They'll maybe point to Old Testament examples of when God tells his people to have courage or to not be afraid. But I think the fact that they were in situations in the first place where they had to be told these things, well, they probably had plenty to worry about. And those commands from God to be courageous, well, they're probably more about how his people should respond to worry rather than maybe not worrying in the first place. It's natural to worry. But then some people will point to Jesus and they'll say, well, didn't Jesus say, who of you by worrying can add a single day to their life? Well, yes, he did. But if you look at what Jesus says, he specifically says you're not to worry about what you should wear or eat or drink, but instead seek first the kingdom of God. So Jesus isn't saying that there aren't any circumstances in life where we might naturally worry. He's not saying that those situations don't exist. But he reminds us about who we are and what's more important, the kingdom of God. And in fact, Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow because today has enough worries of its own. Maybe more well-known in the King James Version, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In other words, there's enough to worry about today. But then some people will look at Paul and they'll say, well, doesn't he say, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests made known to God. But again, it seems to me that he isn't ruling out being worried. I mean, after all, if we weren't concerned, we wouldn't have those prayers and petitions and supplications to bring to God. No, he's saying, don't just sit there and be worried. Bring it to God. That's how you will know peace. But he's not saying you shouldn't be worried in the first place. Now, if I still haven't convinced you, and I am getting to Psalm 91, I want you to think about Jesus again in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 22, that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now most people believe, and I'm one of them, that Luke is describing a medical condition, I mightn't say it right, it's called hematidrosis, 
but under severe pressure, a human being may actually sweat drops of blood, and it's because some of your blood capillaries burst when you're under severe stress. You can look it up when you go home if you want, but I'll warn you, the images you'll see, you mightn't want to look at them, but you can look it up, it's a real thing. So if Jesus was anxious about what was about to happen to him, and of course that was grim, well then I think it might be okay to say that Christians could worry from time to time. It's not to say that we should go out of our way to be worried, but that it's okay. We shouldn't be guilty about it. What is important though is how we respond, of course, and that's what we're gonna think about this morning in Psalm 91. How should we deal with worry and anxiety over the future? How can we know peace in very uncertain times? Because this is what Psalm 91 is all about. Now verse one is the title of the Psalm. It says this, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Now it might not be obvious at first that the psalmist is talking about worry and stress here, but there are a few clues. First of all, he talks about the shelter of the Most High, and that word shelter could be translated shelter, or it could even be translated as defense. It has the idea that there's some kind of danger about something that has to be defended against, something that needs to be sheltered from. So there's danger. There's danger in what the psalmist is talking about. And then secondly, he talks about rest. If you take shelter in God, then you will have rest in the shadow of the Almighty. If you have a different translation in front of you this morning, it might say something about you'll abide in the shelter of the Almighty or you'll dwell there. But rest is a pretty good translation. Now, the Hebrew word for rest, I'm not gonna talk about Hebrew this morning, but the Hebrew word for rest is Shabbat, which is the word we get Sabbath from or sabbatical. You can think of a sabbatical as a kind of a rest, but that's not the word that's used here. The word used here is a word which describes somebody who lodges for the night, someone who finds somewhere safe to stay during the night. So the author of this psalm is speaking about feeling under attack, needing to take shelter from something, but also of a night time in their life, a time when they can't see, a time when it is dark, a time when he can't see the future. This psalm speaks to anxiety and worry about the future and it says, when you can't see the way forward, when it's a night time in your life, if you take shelter in God, you will find rest in him. Literally, you'll be able to sleep for the night because you'll be protected by him. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So if this is the title of the psalm, and it is, I want to ask two very simple questions about it this morning. The first is this, what? What does it look like to have this rest? What is it to have rest from uncertainty and worry by sheltering in God? And secondly, how? How do we get this rest? How do we experience it? So what does it look like? Well, this psalm gives us a number of pictures. Firstly, life with God is a place of security. It's a place of security. Verse four says, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. We have this picture of being under God's wings. I was researching this uh, earlier in the week and I came across um, a guy, he lives in the USA, I think it was Colorado or somewhere, and, and wherever he is, they're quite used to experiencing really severe hailstorms. 
And this man, he is a very tall tree in his garden, and a few summers ago, he spotted a nest up in the top of the tree. I'm not sure what sort of birds they were, but eggs were laid and and they hatched, and the mother was looking after the little ones. But then one day came the hailstorm. And I'm told we're talking about hailstones the size of golf balls. This was a really severe storm, And, and as it starts to fall, and starts to batter everything. This man realizes that these chicks, well, they're pretty exposed. But just in the nick of time, the mother returns, and the chicks all gather in under her wing. And the mother gets absolutely battered. But at the end of the storm, the young ones, well, they seem to be okay. And this is the picture that God gives us in the Bible when we trust in him. I'll say a bit more about it later, but just for now I want to think about those chicks, to think about us. There's a storm going on outside and a dangerous one maybe in our lives. Now I'm no expert in birds' wings, but I suspect they aren't made of reinforced titanium. I reckon they still experienced a dip in temperature when the storm came. I reckon they probably still felt something of the heel hitting them through their mother's wing but they were safe. Their mother was protecting them, so whilst it mightn't have been a very pleasant experience, all the same, they were safe. And that's what it's like for us. When we trust in the Lord, bad things still happen to us. We still experience them, but but there's something different about the way we experience them. It might be pretty bad, and we know that ultimately, though, he has his wings over us. That actually means we can face whatever is worrying us though with more confidence and that's what it goes on to say in verses five and six. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence, that's a disease, that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that destroys at midday. Although we experience all kinds of worrying things, suffering even, we don't need to be afraid of worry and anxiety and suffering. All of those things that are listed, the the terror of the night, arrows flying in the day, disease and plague, well, those things might happen to us. They might. But we don't need to fear them. Now, this doesn't mean that, for example, next week when we come in, we should just all sit together again and not worry about social distancing or masks or anything because, sure, we don't need to be afraid about any of that. In fact, biblically speaking, I think we should do these things because if there's any chance that doing any of these things would prevent somebody else from catching the virus, then we should do it because the Bible tells us to consider others as more important than ourselves and we are people who should care, particularly for vulnerable people. What does it mean that we don't have to be afraid when God is on our side? Well, what it means is that ultimately no harm will come to us. Ultimately no harm will come to us. Resting in the shadow of the Almighty, it looks like a place of being secure in the midst of the things that we're worried about, but also not fearing them. And the reason for that is that ultimately no harm will come to us. Now we need to tread quite carefully here because at first glance, what this psalm says is, well, if you trust God, everything will just be okay. It says no harm will overtake you. But we know that's just not true, don't we? Bad things do happen to us. Some Christians die for their faith. But this psalm seems to say otherwise, all through it, especially in verses nine to 13, listen to this. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. 
No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. So is this Psalm really saying the unbelievable? Is it really saying that if we just trust God enough, everything will always be okay? Well, no, I don't think it is saying that. And one of the reasons for that is when we come across something in the Bible like that that seems to sit out of kilter with the rest, well, we have to consider what the rest is to help us understand what it does say. I'll give you a couple of examples. You may know the story of Job. Job's a character in the Old Testament, and the Bible says there was nobody like him. He was so righteous, he was favored by God, there was nobody righteous like him. What happened to Job? Well, he lost everything. He lost his wife, he lost his children, he lost all his possessions, all his sheep and cattle and whatever is listed. He loses everything. And his friends come along to him and they believe that if Job had really trusted God, none of this would have happened. And they say, there must have been something. You must have done something to annoy God. Think a bit harder. Maybe you're not as righteous as you think you are. But it's interesting at the end of the book of Job when God comes and addresses the situation, he looks at those friends and he says to them, you have misrepresented me. You have lied about me. What you have said is not true about me. We could think of other examples, Daniel and his friends being the only God-believing people and being thrown into a lion's den, being thrown into a fire. They were the only godly people there and they didn't have it easy. But the number one reason why we know that Psalm 91 does not teach that no harm will ever come to us if we're a Christian is because we actually see Jesus talk about it in Luke chapter 4. In Luke 4, Jesus is tempted and he's taken to the top of the temple by Satan. And Satan says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan says to Jesus, if God really is your father, if he's really all that good, if he really loves you, sure, he won't let you be harmed, will he? Now we have to ask ourselves, why was Jesus being tempted in this way? Why would it ever have been tempting to throw yourself off the temple? Why would you take that risk? Well, the reason is because Jesus knows he could have commanded angels to save him. He could have got his ministry going the easy way, none of this being rejected by the people and being handed over to be crucified and death and suffering. No, if people had seen this great miracle, well, surely his ministry would have been off to a great start. People would believe that the kingdom of God was really here. But Jesus knew it wasn't God's way. It wasn't the way for Job, it wasn't the way for Daniel, it wasn't the way for countless others, not even Jesus. No, instead, going back to Psalm 91, the point is that God will be with us through suffering. Verse 15, he will call on me, this is God speaking, he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. God will be with us through trouble. But you might ask, well, all right, but John, you haven't really explained it. How come all those other verses are still there? How come verse 10 actually says, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near you? Well, to answer that, again, I want to go back to Jesus. 
in Luke 21. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples in Luke 21. He says to them, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. You will be brought before kings and governors all on account of me. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. How can he say that? How can he say some of you are going to be put to death? Everyone will hate you. And then in the next breath say, not a hair on your head will perish. Well, somehow these two truths coexist. And I think the answer is found in what Jesus says next. He says, stand firm and you will win life. And he's talking about eternal life. Suffering is often the path to life. That's how it's always been for God's people. That's how it was for Jesus. But the real you, the you that will last, will not suffer. After we suffer all the things on this earth, they lead us to eternal life because suffering drives us to him. Cling to him during the tough times when you're really worried, when you're anxious about things and all the things that cause you pain and anguish. And then when the suffering's over, you'll just have him. That's what the Bible teaches. That's why no harm will come to us because ultimately we have an eternal hope which lasts beyond any of our worries or our suffering. I wonder, are you worried today? Is there something that's eating away at you? Trust in God and he will shelter you. That's his promise. He will make it possible for you not to fear the things that are worrying you. Not that you won't ever suffer Not that it will be easy, I can't promise you that. Not that you won't ever worry again, but that you can have confidence that ultimately none of those things can touch you because you have an eternal hope. That's what being in the shelter of the Almighty looks like. But how? How do do we know this? How do we get there? Well, the answer is that it's through salvation. At the very end of the psalm, what does God say he will do for those who love him? He says, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. We can have the confidence that those things ultimately can't hurt us because of our salvation. And that's why I read those verses from Romans chapter five. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, and that's just a way of saying since we have salvation, we have peace with God Sounds a lot like the rest that the psalmist talks about, doesn't it? We have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, it's because of what he has done. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Some translations say rejoice, but the word is boast. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's what the psalmist is doing when he says that no harm will come to us. He's boasting. He has this confidence. He's so confident in the hope of glory, in the salvation that God has given him, that he ultimately doesn't need to be concerned about those things, and he knows it. So he boasts in the hope that he has of the glory of God, that ultimately none of this can touch him. Paul goes on, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. We do have sufferings. Paul is upfront about that. 
but ultimately they point us to the hope that we have. As Paul says elsewhere, our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Our sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that we will know one day. So Christian today, hear this. Jesus has saved you, and that means that you dwell in the shelter of the Most High. There you have rest. There you have peace. So when you're worried about the future, when you're anxious, when you can't stop thinking about all that could go wrong, when you're awake at night, know that you are under his wings. Know that you are under his wings. These things might still hit you, but you have his protection. Protection that means you don't need to fear these things, however awful they might be, because you have the hope of glory. Take time when you go home today. Take 10 minutes, open your Bible at Romans chapter five, read the whole thing, revel in it, boast in it, drink it in. Whatever you're facing, you have the hope of glory. And if you're here today and you don't know this security, well, how, how do you get it? Well, the way Psalm 91 puts it is like this. It's back to the bird. It's back to being under the shelter of the bird's wings. The fancy word we use in the church for this is substitution. You see, sin is the most dangerous thing that we face in this world. It's ultimately the source of all our worry. It's the thing that kills us. And we know that so often we have willfully participated in it. It kills us. We deserve everything coming our way because our sin is ultimately a rejection of God and what he has done. But out of his love for us, he sent his son to put this right, to put his wing over us in the storm, to take the worst this world could throw at us, to take the death we deserve. He put himself in our place and took the punishment so that when this world has thrown all it can at us, when all this is over, we can fly away with him like those little birds. We can fly away with him to eternal life. All that's required is to step into this shelter. Psalm 91 says, he will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. It's not anything we do which gives us that shelter. It's his faithfulness. It's what he has done for us. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Or, as Jesus puts it, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that for those who dwell in your shelter, there is rest and peace. We praise you that for those who trust in you, no matter what circumstances they face, they can face them without fear because our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we will see one day. Thank you for that hope. Thank you that you are there. Thank you that there is purpose even in our suffering. 
Father, we pray for ourselves this morning. And hear us, Lord, as now in the quiet, we bring before you all the things that we're going through and the things that worry us. Lord, we ask that in the midst of whatever any of us might be facing, that you would make your presence known, that you would give us hope and strength for tomorrow, that you would point us to the salvation won for us by Jesus Christ and help us to trust him now, somehow, even when it is difficult, and always, no matter what life might throw at us. And as we've thought this morning about those who are worried or concerned about the future, we do want to pray for others too. We lift before you those who've recently received adjusted A-level results but still face uncertainty about the path ahead, about university places or whatever it is that they might want to do. We do pray that this would be resolved both well and quickly. We pray for those who we know who continue to face uncertainty because of COVID-19. We think of those who are concerned about their health, about their job, about their family, or about their business. And Father, we do ask that we would see a reduction in the number of cases so that life can return to normal once more. And finally, Father, we pray for those who are still picking up the pieces after the explosion in Beirut a few weeks ago, those who undoubtedly face uncertainty about the future. We pray especially for your people there, the church, and we ask that you would keep them under the shadow of your wing. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.